Chapter 30 of Up the River by Oliver Optic Up Another River and Home Again This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Colonel Shepard looked somewhat perplexed, for while we were going up the river, not a word had been said about going down the river. Doubtless all our passengers thought the steamers would have to return by the way they came and had taken it for granted that this must be the case. I had a different view of the matter. "'Do you mean to go up to Lake Itasca?' asked Colonel Shepard as he lighted his cigar, indicating that he meant to have the talk out, and the future course of the steam yachts decided upon. Uh, it would be rather difficult to get over the falls of St. Anthony, I replied. Billy Bell don't know the way up there. Of course you mean to sail around to New York and from thence to Lake St. Clair by the way you came, suggested the colonel. I am happy to say that I don't mean anything of the kind, I answered with a smile. I'm afraid it would be rather tedious for our passengers to go over the same route again so soon. I suppose they would cut across the country by railroad and steamboat. I had intended to go from St. Louis to Pittsburgh by boat. I hope you won't give up the voyage so soon, I protested. I am only afraid the ladies will be seasick again. Give up, exclaimed the colonel. Of course there is an end to navigation in this direction. We can run up the Missouri for a week or two up to St. Paul's or up to Pittsburgh, but I do not see the point of following either of these routes unless it be the latter which will bring us so much nearer to New York. I don't think the Sylvania has any particular business in New York, and I had not thought of taking her there again, I added. I can't say that I should care to descend the Mississippi, cross the Gulf of Mexico, and follow the coast by the way we came. I am in favor of variety in our yacht trips. So am I, and for that reason I am in favor of going to New York by steamer and railroad from here. I have three weeks more to spare. And if you wish to go up to St. Paul's or Pittsburgh, I am entirely willing to go with you, Captain Alec. As your plans seem to be different from mine, we ought to have considered this subject at Cairo. For you have come over 200 miles out of your way if you intend to go to Pittsburgh. It makes little difference to me or to my family where we go, for we have enjoyed this trip so much that none of us were in a hurry to bring it to an end. Mrs. Shepard has entirely recovered from her nervous debility, and I know she will be sorry when we have to part company. Then you had better allow the Islander to continue in the fleet, and I promise that you shall not be any farther from New York at any time than you are now, or at any point where it will take you longer to get there. More than this, the Islander shall land you twelve miles nearer New York than Pittsburgh. Then I will go with you, replied the colonel. But it will take much longer to go by my way, I added. Will it take more than three weeks longer, Captain Alec? asked the owner of the consort. You shall be in New York in half that time, if you wish. 
I suppose it is no use for me to ask what this marvelous root is to be, queried the colonel. Not the least, I replied decidingly. No one has said a word as to where we were going for the last month, or since we decided to go up the river. Nobody seemed to care. We all took it for granted that the steamers were to return by the way they came, said Colonel Shepard. I was talking with your father about the matter one day more than a week ago, and he had the same view of the subject I had. We will sail at nine o'clock tomorrow morning, if you please. Certainly, if that is the pleasure of the commander of the fleet, answered Colonel Shepard. I had kept my own counsel so far, and I thought I had better continue to do so for a while longer. Washburn and I had settled the question even before we left Detroit, and had procured all the information necessary to carry out our plan, for the mate first suggested it. We had taken in coal sufficient to run the steamer about two days. With this supply, we drew up a little less than eight feet of water, just enough to sink the propeller. Before night, I engaged two pilots, one for each steamer, for I was not sure we could lash boats much longer. At the time appointed, all our passengers were on board, and we backed out from the levee. It was so much more social to lash boats that we did so at the request of the ladies. Recent heavy rains all over the western states had again raised the river several feet above the level it was when we arrived at St. Louis. "'Won't you explain the great mystery to me, Captain Alec?' asked Miss Margie as I passed her, seated on the quarter-deck reading a novel. "'What great mystery?' I inquired, taking a chair by her side. "'Why, the mystery of where we are going,' she replied with a bewitching laugh. All the passengers are trying to solve the riddle, and no one has done it yet. What book are you reading, Miss Margie? I asked. Little Dorrit. What has that to do with it? she said, looking at me with a surprise. Perhaps nothing, but before I explain to you the great mystery, as you call it, let me tell you how the book you are reading comes out. You have got acquainted with Little Dorrit, the father of the marshalsea, and, no, stop, I don't want you to tell me how it comes out, protested the fair maiden vehemently. I wouldn't have you do it for the world. It would utterly spoil all the pleasure I might have in reading the book. Is that so? Why shouldn't I explain this great mystery as well as the other? I am sure I should deprive you of half the excitement of the trip if I tell you beforehand all about it. Then you needn't tell me a word, and I did not. At lunchtime we were in the midst of another great inland sea, at the mouth of the Missouri. Some of us wished we were going up that great river to explore it where there were no towns or other evidences of civilization. As that was not our present purpose, we forgot all about it as soon as we were out of sight of its mouth. Twenty miles more brought the fleet to another broad expanse of water in which were several islands. I do to the Mississippi, I shouted, walking from one end to the other of the steamer, but I made no further explanation. 
There was a call for maps and guidebooks, then, succeeded by an anxious study for a few moments. "'This is the mouth of the Illinois River!' exclaimed Miss Margie, rushing up to me. "'I don't deny it,' I replied. To avoid more questions, I went to the pilot house. "'We are making about twelve miles an hour,' said the pilot of the Sylvania. "'How can that be?' The most we could make in the Mississippi was seven miles against the strong current. The current is the other way here, added the pilot. Do you mean that the stream runs up? Precisely that, answered the man, laughing at my perplexity. When the Mississippi is very high, it flows the water back in the Illinois for seventy miles. We get a little current here to help us. After a while, it will really be still water. In this part of the river, the stream was full to the top of its banks, and in some places it overflowed them. The river had furrowed out a deep channel in the alluvial soil, and at low water it had tolerably high bluffs on each side of it. It was almost as wide as the Father of Waters, where we had left it at its lower part but in a few hours the width began to diminish a little. Before night I had called all hands, and after unbending the square sails, sent down all the yards and topmasts, for I feared that we might have trouble with the low bridges and perhaps with the trees that overhung the stream in some places. We frequently met river steamers, and I found by comparison that our lower masts were not higher above the surface of the water than the smokestacks of the boats. We continued on our course all night, one of the pilots being on duty all the time. In the morning the appearance of the country was more picturesque, and we had a delightful day. In the afternoon we passed through the lake at Peoria, which was a beautiful sheet of water. We had a current to contend with, and our progress was not so rapid as it had been the day before. On the following morning we reached the head of the natural navigation of the river. I went ashore at Peru and chartered a canal boat, and engaged a number of horses and drivers. "'What now, Captain Malik?' called Colonel Shepard, when I came on board of the Sylvania with the islander made fast to her. Lots of work for a few hours, I replied, directing the mate to call all hands, for I wished to avoid all delays. I found the two steamers were each drawing seven and a half feet of water. We were about to enter the Illinois and Michigan Canal, extending from La Salle to Chicago. I had ascertained that it was six feet deep, and I did not think it was likely to be below that at the present high stage of water. We had only about a hundred miles between the steamers and Lake Michigan. The government of the United States had already considered the question of making this canal deep enough to float ordinary lake craft so that gunboats and other war vessels may be sent through from the Mississippi to the lakes in case of war with our English neighbors. Probably it will be done sometime, but in the interest of commerce rather than war. The steamers drawing seven and a half feet of water could not pass through the canal, which was only six feet deep, but I was not disturbed by this fact, as I was prepared for it. 
the year before when i had put the sylvania through a thorough course of repairs i had removed everything out of her except her engine and boiler she had a considerable quantity of ballast in her composed of pigs of iron when everything was taken out of her she drew a little less than six feet the canal boat i had engaged was drawn in between the two steamers and we proceeded to load it with cables anchors and ballast we rigged a derrick formed of the foreyards of the vessels and made as easy work of it as possible when at night we had taken every movable thing out of the steamers they realized all my expectations for they drew only six feet but this was making no allowance for possible shoal places and moses with the engineer of the islander had been at work while we were moving the heavy weights from the hold in detaching the propellers of the two crafts with our shears we hoisted them out into the canal boat the removal of these heavy weights from the stern set the vessels on a more even keel fore and aft a western river steamer draws more water forward than aft so that she may be more easily worked over shoal places while a sea or lake vessel is just the reverse we found that we were likely to sink the canal boat and i was obliged to procure another we divided the weight between the two and then transferred our spare spars to them our passengers had been greatly interested in watching the various operations in progress it was dark when our heavy laborers were finished the ship's company and the passengers were to remain on board during the passage though i had told them they could take a train and be in chicago in a few hours they all preferred to remain to enjoy the novelty of the canal trip our passengers were really in no haste to reach their point of destination yet they were impatient to be on the move as is always the case with the average american traveler i concluded to start at once as the nights were now cheered by a full moon and i intended to keep the boats going until they arrived at chicago there was nothing for the engineers and firemen to do on board and i sent moses brickland and ben bowman forward by railroad to several designated places to engage fresh horses for us our passengers sat up till midnight on the hurricane deck for the weather was very warm for the season in this latitude while washburn and the deckhand steered in the morning our canal drivers said we had averaged three miles an hour with two changes of horses this was getting along faster than i had expected i had written to mr brickland at montmorency informing him when we should arrive at chicago and inviting him and his wife to join us there and make the trip home in the steamer the next day was full of interest to our canal travelers our strange craft excited a good deal of interest all along the route when our party came on deck the next morning they found the steamers in the canal basin at chicago we had made the trip in thirty-four hours and had not touched bottom once so far as i knew the fleet had stopped only long enough to change horses at any place we got the boats alongside and sent our party on the way to the hotels for the odor of the basin was not that of otar of roses the engineers went to work on the propellers first and after resorting to very expedients we got them in place steam was up by this time and we towed the canal boats down to a point near the lake 
It required the whole day to restore our anchors, cables, and ballast to their places, rig the spars, and bend on the sails. By six o'clock we were in as good condition as when we entered the Mississippi at the Belize. We had hardly finished the work before Mr. and Mrs. Brickland came on board. They were delighted to see us, and both of them wept when they realized that Moses and I were alive, well and happy after our long voyage. I had sent for our passengers, and when they came on board, I introduced my foster family and mother to them, and the old people were very pleasantly received. They welcomed my father as one who had come from the other world, for Mr. Brickland declared he had been unable to realize that he was still alive, though I had written them to that effect. My father insisted upon resigning the best stateroom to them, though I had intended to give up my room while Washburn and I divided the nights between us in the fore-cabin. At dark we were under way, and fortunately we had smooth water so that Mrs. Shepherd had no cause to complain of the lake. At Mackinaw we stopped a day to give the party an opportunity to pull in some of the famous trout off that locality. Off Thunder Bay, where I had once weathered a gale in the Lake Bird, there was a considerable stirring of the waters, and Mrs. Shepherd declared that it was worse than the broad Atlantic. But the last was always the worst to her. She was delighted with St. Clair River when we passed through it the next day. We crossed the flats by the canal and stood over to Glinton River. The region looked very natural to us after our long absence. In the middle of the afternoon, we made a landing at the wharf back of Mr. Brickland's house. A considerable crowd had gathered on the pier, for we had been seen by someone who reported us in town. Those who were acquainted received a warm welcome. The shepherds insisted upon going to the hotel, and I did not very strongly object, as we had not sufficient accommodations for them in the house. They remained there a week, for the spring seemed greatly to improve the health of the lady. The islander was started on her voyage to New York the day after her arrival at Montemercy, for the colonel wanted to use her there soon after his arrival. When his family were ready to depart, I conveyed them to Buffalo in the Sylvania. The Tiffany's wanted to see more of the country and accompanied the shepherds. Owen had decided to go to England, and Buck Lingley and Hop Tosford felt obliged to go with him, though their year was not quite up. I landed my passengers in the canal basin. I had not felt so sad since the news came to me of the death of my father as on this occasion. I parted with Margie Tiffany and her father, more especially with Margie, with a regret which I cannot describe but I was permitted to write to her and her father as often as once a month, and I hoped before long to see her in England. Buck and Hop had not been gone more than an hour before they reappeared with store clothes on and did not look at all like the excellent sailors they were. Their real names were Richard Lawrence and Edward Blakely, and when they appeared in their new dress, I called them by their proper names. They were very sorry to leave the Sylvania, and I expressed the hope that they would come and spend a summer with me in a cruise around the Great Lakes. They promised to do it if possible.
Once more we bade them good-bye. We stayed in Buffalo to see the party off for New York, and up to this time that was the last I have seen of them. After my father joined our party, I noticed that Owen Garningham was never himself again. Though he continued to flutter around Miss Edith, he never seemed to be so well pleased with me as before. Yet I do not think he had anything against me. I could only attribute the change in him to the cancelling of the contract for the use of the Sylvania for a year, though he had said very little about the matter. He parted with me, I think, with real sorrow, and hoped he should see me again before even another year had passed. I saw my cousin seated in the chair by the side of Miss Edith. He sailed for England in June, but I have no idea how he had the courage to tear himself away from her. I have no doubt they will be man and wife in due time, though my father says his mother will never consent to the match. As soon as the train started, we returned to the Sylvania. The two waiters we had hired in Florida wanted to seek their fortune in New York, and Colonel Shepard promised to do all he could for them on their arrival. Cobbington returned to Montmorency with my father and myself. He was now in apparently good health, but he declared that it would cost him his life to remain in the north over winter. Governor Hungerford wrote to me, as he had promised to do during the summer. Before the cold weather came, I had secured a situation in Baton Rouge for the invalid, where at the last accounts he was in good health, acting as a messenger for the governor. My father and I were so well contented in the home of the Bricklands that we remained there for the rest of the season. He built a summer residence on an island in Lake Superior, where we expect to go every season in the Sylvania. I liked my home in the West too well to think of giving it up, though I was admitted to the college at Racine in September, as Washburn was at Brunswick. My story is told, but I hope when I have graduated to make another such trip as that in which we circumnavigated 24 states, besides New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, coasted along the whole eastern shore of the United States, visited the interior of Florida, crossed the Gulf of Mexico, and sailed up the river, yachting on the Mississippi. End of chapter and end of Up the River by Oliver Optic. This was recorded by Stephen Simmons in Ormond Beach, Florida. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. To volunteer or for more information, go to LibriVox.org.